there in uh, Genesis chapter number 34. And like I said, tonight uh, is going to be the last uh, sermon in this series. We've been going through a series now for several months on Sunday nights called The Patriarchs. And The Patriarchs, I explained this when we first started, but I haven't explained it in a while, I don't think. The Bible refers to the patriarchs as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we've been learning about these three men who basically kicked off this thing that we call, uh, you know, being a believer, being born again. And of course, Jesus in the New Testament is the one who came and died. But even before then, believers in the Old Testament were uh, saved by faith in a coming Messiah. We've been studying, the, we're studying the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I want you to understand that uh, the life of Jacob doesn't end here in, in verse 34, but basically from here on through the book of Genesis, the life of Jacob overlaps the life of Joseph. And Joseph is just another series for another day. One day we'll do a series called The Life of Joseph, and we'll, we'll cover those, uh, that material at, at that time. In the next chapter, basically, there's a bunch of deaths. Isaac dies, and then, and then you have a chronology of Esau, and then you go into the life of of Joseph. So we're going to, this is the last major story that we get before you enter the life of Joseph. So we're going to cut off the series here. So tonight will be the last, the last series. And it's it's quite a story in, uh, in Genesis 34 here. And tonight I want to quickly, as quickly as I can, I want to give you just three thoughts, three failures on Jacob's part and as a parent. In regards to parenting, there were several mistakes that he made that could have been avoided. And we can use this as an example for ourselves to not make the same mistakes that that Jacob made. And and, uh, we want to try to learn from that. So look look at verse number one, Genesis 34 and verse number one. Genesis 34 and verse one. The Bible says, and Dinah. Now remember, Jacob had four wives. Uh, the Bible tells us there are four wives, and he had 11 sons up to this point, and he has one daughter, Dinah. Dinah was the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, uh, went out, notice verse 1 there, went out to see the daughters of the land. So we're told that Dinah, the daughter of Leah, uh, went out to see the daughters of the land. Now we've got to ask the question, what land? Where? Are they? And here's what I, I want you to, to understand, and, and let's just look, run a couple of verses real quickly to kind of understand. Go back to Genesis chapter number 33, so just one chapter back. Genesis 33, and look at verse 17. Remember when, remember when Jacob was running away from Laban, and he was going back home, and of course he had to confront who? Christ. He confronted God, and then of course he confronted Esau, because he had to make things right with Esau as well. But I want you to notice... What, uh, where Jacob went. Because remember, after his, his, after his talk with Esau, Esau said, hey, come with me to Seir. And Jacob tactfully said, no. But I want you to notice where Jacob ended up going. Genesis 33, if you look at verse 17, the Bible says, And Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built him in a house and made boots for his cattle. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. Look at verse 18. And Jacob came to uh, Shalem, a city of Shechem. So we're talking about an, an area here uh, called uh, uh, Succoth, and he came to this place, Shalem, which is a city uh, of Shechem. So he's in this location known as Shechem or Shechem, you know, different people pronounce it different ways, which is the land of Canaan. When he came from Panaram, remember, Panaram is where Laban lived. 
So when he came from Paranaram and pitched his tent before the city, look at verse 19, and he bought a parcel of a field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for an hundred pieces of money. So I want you to notice, not only is he a city called Shechem, but the city is named after this man uh, uh, who's, who's Shechem's, uh, we we're told here there's an individual, Shechem's father is, is who he bought this uh, parcel of land from. Look at verse 20. And he erected there an altar and called it Eliho Israel. Now, here's what I want you to notice. He goes to Shechem or Sakath or Shalem. You know, all of these are talking about the same general area, the city of Shechem. He's not actually in the city of Shechem, but he's near the city of Shechem. I'm sorry. Am I doing something wrong? Okay. All right. As long as I'm not doing anything wrong. No, I'm just kidding. Um, he's in the city of, of Shechem. But here's a question. Is that where he was supposed to be? Go back to, go back to Genesis 31. Look at verse number 13. Remember, again, when he was with Laban. When he was with Laban, God appeared to Jacob and told him, God appeared to Jacob and told him to leave the land where he was with Laban. And I want you to notice what God said. Genesis 31, look at verse 13. This is what God said to, to Jacob. He said, I am the God of Bethel. He said, I am the God of Bethel. Would it be easier to just go to this one, do you think, for the Carlton? You want to try that? Let's try that. All right, let's see if that works better. I don't know, maybe we have an issue with this thing. Look at verse 13, Genesis 31, verse 13. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowedest a vow unto me, now arise, get thee from this land, okay? Padanaram, where he was with Laban, and return unto the Lord of thy kindred. Now, when God says, get out of this land and return, and God says to him, I am the God of Bethel. You see Bethel there? Okay? Here's what you need to understand. God was telling him to go to Bethel. He, he names Bethel for a reason. He says, I am the God of Bethel. He says, get thee out of the land and return unto the land of thy kindred. If you remember, Bethel is where he made a vow to God. Bethel is referred to as the house of God. Bethel is where he said he'd bring his tithe and bring his vow, the tenth part. And God appears to him and says, I am the God of Bethel. Get thee out from this land. Return unto me. The implication is that God wants him to go to Bethel. Now, if you say, well, I don't know, that's not that convincing. Well, let me show you just one more passage to prove that this is where God wanted him. Because if you go to Genesis 35, all right? So we're going to go past the story we're in. After the whole mess with Shechem and everything we just read about. Genesis 35, if you look at verse 1, notice what the Bible says. And God said unto Jacob, arise and go up to where? Bethel. See, God appeared to him back in Padanaram and said, I am the God of Bethel. Get out of this land. And he's telling him, come to me. Come to Bethel. Jacob chose to go to Sukkoth. He chose to go to Shechem. He chose to go to Shalem. And he gets in all sorts of trouble there. And his kids get into all sorts of trouble there. And then God appears to him in the next chapter and says, Hey, why don't you just arise and go up to Bethel? And here's what I want you to understand. And if you're taking notes tonight, I'd like you to write this statement down. Jacob failed. Jacob failed in surrounding his family with the world. Jacob's failure as a parent was the fact that he surrounded his family with the world. See, God called him to Bethel. 
God told him, I am the God of Bethel. But yet Jacob said, no, no, I think it's good enough if we just go to Shechem. I think it's fine if we just go to Sychoth. And he tried to spiritualize it. Because look at verse 20 of chapter 33. Genesis 33 and verse 20, he shows up in Shechem. He buys a parcel of the field. He spreads a tent. He builds the booth. He gets it all done. Then notice the afterthought, verse 20. And he erected there an altar and called it Elohi Israel. This reminds me of the people that will take a job somewhere and they'll move somewhere and then they'll get there and they get all settled down and then they're like, oh yeah, we need to find a church to go to. And then it's like, yeah, that should have been your first, you know, you should have taken the job till you knew there was a good church for you to go there. But here you've got Jacob who was told to go to Bethel, yet he chose to go to Shechem. And that's the context of the story with his daughter Dinah. Go back to Genesis 34, look at verse 1. Genesis 34, verse 1. And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters, notice, of the land. Of what land? Of Shechem. Not of Bethel, of Shechem. They should have been in Bethel. They should have been in the house of God. They should have been where God wanted them. But he chose to be in Shechem. For whatever reason, he chose to go there. And I will submit to you tonight that one of Jacob's failures as a parent is that he surrounded his family with the world. He should have been in Bethel, but he was in Shechem. Keep your place there in Genesis 34. Go to James chapter number 4 with me. If you start from the back of your Bible, book of Revelation, you go past Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, and 1st Peter, James. James chapter number 4. James chapter number 4. And you know what? Today... And, you know, you will fail as a parent and I will fail as a parent if we fail in this area where we allow our children to be surrounded with the world. Are you there in James chapter 4? Look at verse 4. James 4, 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not the friendship of the world is the enmity with God? See, God says if you are friends, you, look, you've got to decide. As a Christian, you cannot say, I'll be a friend of God and I'll be a friend of the world. No, it doesn't work that way. You either choose God or you choose the world. You either choose the world or you choose God, but you can't choose both. He says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that, friend, that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Enmity means we are at odds. God says, when you choose to be friends with the world, because here's what you got to understand. The world is the enemy of God. And it's always amazing to me how people don't understand this. They don't understand, you know, just basic concepts of loyalty. Look, if I've got an enemy and you choose to be friends with my enemy, we're probably not going to be the closest of friends, you and I. I mean, does that make sense? If you've got an enemy and I say, you're not my enemy, but I'm going to be friends with your enemy, you're probably not going to trust me. And God says, look, the world is at war with me. The world is against me. The world is fighting me. And yet his people want to be friends with the world. And God says, I'm not cool with that. God says, I'm not okay with that. He says, don't you know? Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And I'll submit to you that 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 goes in every relationship. You can't choose. Look, if, if someone is an enemy of your wife and you're, a, you're the husband, you better side with your wife. Or wife, you better side with your husband. You better not be siding with the in-laws. You better not be siding with mom. Well, mom said, it doesn't matter. you didn't marry mom. You married your wife. 
You didn't marry, well, my daddy used to, it doesn't matter what your daddy, you married that guy, young lady. You married that man. Hey, I'm just saying, you, when people are at odds, you've got to decide where your loyalties are. And God says, I'm at war with the world. I'm, the world is at war with me. And Christian, you've got to decide. You stand with me or you stand with the world? He said, you can't have, you can't have it both ways. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. You don't have to turn there. Go, go, go back to Genesis 34. I'll read for you from Ephesians 5. 5, Ephesians 5, 11 says this, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And have, it doesn't say and have some fellowship, it says and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And listen to me, you will fail, you will fail as a parent, you will fail as a parent if you do not figure out how to keep your children from being surrounded with the world. Now let me say this, I don't give advice to anybody that doesn't ask me for it. And even when people ask me for it, half the time I still don't give them advice. If you've ever came up and gave me advice, you'll, you'll know this is true. You're like, Pastor, do you think we should? And here's what I say, well, what do you think? Well, I think, well, you, that's what you should do then, you know. Because here's what I figured out. Most of the time people just want me to rubber stamp their stupid decision anyway. So, you know, it's like you're not going to, you know, if I don't really, uh, sometimes I ask people, if I tell you not to do it, if I tell you not to do it, are you going to listen to me? No. Okay, well, then just go, you know, go ahead. <laughs> but but here, here's the point that I'm saying. I don't tell people how to raise their kids. You know, I preach the word of God from behind the pulpit because God gave me that authority. But I don't walk up to people and say, you're making the wrong mistake, unless people ask me. And even when they ask me, half the time I'm just kind of like, well, whatever you want. But you know, lately, recently, my wife and I, we've had several people ask us kind of the same similar questions. So let me just try to help you out and help you understand where I stand and for you to understand certain things. But look, I think that you are surrounding your children with the world when you allow them to have free access to the television, to the internet, and to the entertainment of this world. If your children are just allowed to just go on the internet and look at whatever and listen to whatever and have access to whatever or have access to whatever on the television or have access to whatever on the radio, you are allowing them to be surrounded by the things of this world. And don't be surprised when little Dinah goes out and wants to hang out with the people of the world. With the people of the land of Shechem. Because look, you're going to fail if you don't put some guards there. Your job as a parent, Jacob, your, part, uh, your job as a parent, as a father, as a mother, is to protect your children from the world. And look, I'm not sitting here telling you you shouldn't have internet. or you should, I, I will tell you, you know, throw your stinking television out the you know, out the window. There's nothing good on that television. But look, you, you, can, you can watch things on the internet and have, but you better make sure you've got some sort of protection. You know, in our, in our home, we don't have just free access on the internet for our children. Our children don't just run around with tablets, just free access to whatever they want. And you know, there, there are safeguards that you can use. We, we use a service called Covenant Eyes. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I'm not promoting it. I'm just telling you that's what we choose. It filters the internet. It provides accountability. So if anybody goes on a website they shouldn't be on, my wife is notified, you know, of those things. You say, why do you do that? Because look, we're all sinners. Because I don't want to have, I don't want to make sure my children don't accidentally come on some website and it just ruins the rest of their life because they are exposed to something they shouldn't have seen. I'm not, tell, look, I'm not telling you you can't have it. I'm just telling you, I, I've chosen in my life not to have internet on this phone. I don't have internet. Uh, you know, I, I, I should say that out loud because, you know, I don't know how many messages I don't get. People will try to email me stuff or send me. I don't get group text. I think that goes through the internet. You sent me something for group text and I don't respond. It's not because I don't like you. It's just I didn't get it. 
I don't have internet on my phone. I'm not saying you're bad if you have internet on your phone. I'm just saying this. You better make sure you have something to protect you. Better make sure you don't just have free access to whatever. Because the, the devil will use that as a tool. And especially as a parent, you better make sure your children don't have just free access to the television, free access to the internet, free access. Look, let me, let me just cue you in on something. There's filth on the television. There's filth on the internet. Your 12-year-old doesn't have to be exposed to those things and struggle with that for the rest of their life. You need to, you will fail if you allow them to be surrounded by the world. Let me say this, you will fail if you allow them to be surrounded by other worldly kids. I, ne- I, I, will, I never understood this, I won't understand it till the day I die. Why an independent federal Baptist Christian will decide I need to pull my child or not allow my child to go into the public school system and I'm going to take them home and I'm going to you know, just uh, homeschool them and make sure they get a proper education, then they'll go put them in a sports league. They're, they're, you know, they're, oh, and they're in Little League. They're still around a bunch of worldly kids. It's the same kids that were in the public school. The same kids you were trying to keep them from. I mean, does that make any sense? Is there something I'm missing here? You know, at our home, we've chosen, we'll never put our kids in Little League. We'll never put our kids in Pee Wee football. We'll never put our kids in any kind. Because look, we didn't, pull them, we didn't not put them in public school solely for education. Now, that's a big part of it. And, and I do believe that we're providing a better education. But even more than education, I just didn't want them exposed to all the drugs and pornography that are in those public schools. Yes, even in elementary school. And I'm just telling you, if you allow your children to be exposed to the world around Shechem, you might end up failing. You might end up failing. You know, we've chosen to abstain from sports teams. We've chosen to abstain from, I don't, you know, I don't understand. People pull their kids out for, to homeschool, then they put them in public school classes. It's like you pulled them out of public school so you can put them in. A, we, we know a lady, she's, she homeschools every class she does. It's a public school class. It's like, you're in school. Your kids are in the government, children, system. They're being brainwashed just like everybody else. And I'm, look, I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you, you've got to be careful to make sure your children are not around the world. We've been, my wife and I have been asked recently, we were asked this by several people over the last four or five weeks, and whenever, and this happens a lot, whenever somebody, whenever multiple questions come to us in the same, uh, in the same several weeks, and it's, and it's people we know aren't connected to each other or whatever, I just think it's the Holy Spirit maybe trying to teach us, but you know, at our, at our home we've chosen, and keep in mind, my oldest is nine years old, okay, so we're, we're a long ways from this, but our, at our home we've chosen, you know, our children are not going to work jobs, you know, these part-time jobs. My, you know, the decision, and I want to help you, you dads out, the decision we've made with our boys is that they will work when they're 14, 15, 16. I, I want them to try to work jobs where they're going to learn a trade, where they're going to, you know, I'd rather just sub them out to brother whoever and let them work for, as slaves if they can learn how to do electrical or learn how to put tile down or learn how to put sheetrock up and make sure they're ready to actually support a family when they're 18 or 19 years old, then just go get some job at Subway. And our daughters will dead sure never work at any. And look, my, I met my wife at Subway when we were 16 years old. And you go ask my wife all the filthy things that people said to her as a 16 and 17-year-old girl working at Subway. Grown men, adults trying to pick up on her and saying all sorts of filthy things. You think it's gotten better? That was like 10 years ago. That was like 15 years or whatever. It was not that long ago. Okay. 
You think it's gotten better? Now, look, I don't, I don't have an issue. I don't have an issue. I, I'm just trying to teach you some practical. We, you know, for our daughters, if, if, if people want, you know, want, we're, we're hoping they'll learn instruments like piano playing and violin. If they want to grow up and teach. When I was a teenager, my, when I, when my, when, in our home, I remember my sister as a teenager taught piano as a 16-year-old girl, you know, and, and uh, I think there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that, you know. Uh, my daughters will let them babysit as long as they babysit in our house. You know, they're not going to go babysit in somebody else's house, but as long as they babysit in our house, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I'm just telling you, you need to decide. Here's, here's what I'm, I'm not saying you have to take our stance, but do you have a stand? Do you have a philosophy? Do you have like something that you've decided? These are our boundaries. We don't cross these lines. This is look. My oldest is nine years old. My wife and I have sat down and thought these things through. How will our teenagers date? How you know when they're old enough to date? When will they date? How will they date? Where will they work? How will they work? You know, I hope my sixteen-year-old boys go out and start a business. You know, teenagers can start businesses. I think it'd be great for them to go start a business doing whatever. You know, learning how to get clients and learning how to be responsible. Look, my job is to try to make sure that they are ready to be grown men that support wives and that can support themselves. And that's our goal. And here, you don't have to take my stance. I'm just asking you, do you have a stand? Do you have a plan to protect your family from the world? Because Jacob failed in the fact that he surrounded, he allowed his family to be surrounded with the world. And you better decide what you're going to do and how much influence you're going to allow the world to have on your children. Go back to Genesis 34. I said, number one, Jacob failed in surrounding his family with the world. Number two, Jacob failed, if you'd write this down, Jacob failed in properly safeguarding his family from the world. He failed in the fact that he surrounded them to the world, but once they were there, he also failed in the fact that he did not safeguard them. He did not secure them. He did not do anything to protect them. Mom and dad, do you know it's your job to protect your children? That's what the Bible says. Are you there in Genesis 34? Look at verse 1. And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out, went out, not just to the land, but notice she went out to see the daughters of the land. She had a bunch of friends from Shechem. She had a bunch of friends from Shechem High. She had a bunch of friends from, from, from the world there. And she went out to see them. She went out to, to be friends with them. Listen to me, mom and dad, it is your job. It is your job. Parents, it is your job to protect your children from the wrong friendships. Now, you will do a better job if you don't put them in Shechem High. You will do it. You, it'll be easier if you don't put them in that surrounding to begin with. But if they're in that surrounding, then you better make sure. If they're in that surrounding, then you better make sure that you are protecting them from the wrong friendships. Go to Proverbs 13. Look at verse 20. Proverbs 13. You're there in Genesis. If you go from Psalms, which is the center of the Bible, and one book over is Proverbs. You need to make sure that you are protecting your children from the wrong friendships. And don't let the world brainwash you into thinking that you're not allowed. You are allowed. You are allowed to tell your children you will not be friends with so-and-so. You will not spend time with so-and-so. So, uh, who am I? Who am I? Uh, you feed them. You clothe them. You insure them or whatever you do. You know, you, you're, you're the one that's, you know, uh, they, they live through you. You've got that control. Now, when they move out, 
They get to do what they want. But while they're living under your roof, you look, you get to decide where they go, where they don't go. And look, I'm, I, I will never sit here and tell you, there may be children that they don't need to be friends with in, in, in within our own church. You say, who are you talking about? I'm not, I'm not talking about anybody. I'm just saying there may come a time in our church where your children, and, and look, listen to me. Remember last week we talked about being tactful? You say, okay, there's a child in the church, and I don't think they're a good influence with my child. How to, how to, let me explain to you how you don't deal with that. You don't deal with that by walking up to the parents and saying, you stinking worldly heathen. Your kid can't play with my kid. Okay, that's not how you deal with it. That's just stupid. All right? I know I'm using that word a lot, but it's just the Holy Spirit is bringing it. So how do you deal with that? Here's how you deal with that. You walk up to that parent, and here's what you say. My child and your child don't do well together. Notice you're not placing blame anywhere. You're not saying it's your fault. You're just saying my child and your child, they just don't, they don't go well together. They get into trouble. So I don't think my child and your child should be friends. Look, and, and hopefully you don't have to have that conversation. I'm just telling you, it's your job. It's your job to make sure your children have the proper friendships. Proverbs 13, look at verse 20. Proverbs 13 and verse 20. He that walk, now look, don't, people tend to take this too far. Some of you moms are going to walk into that mother-baby room. Your child and my child don't get along. Look, they're, they're, they're a year and a half. I, I think you can let that go, okay? Proverbs 13, obviously use the common sense. Proverbs 13, look at verse 20. He that walketh with wise men, look what it says. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. But don't miss this. But a companion of fools, Dinah, a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Your child's life may be destroyed by who, who you allow them to be friends with. Your child may, may end up struggling with drugs for the rest of their lives because you allowed them to be friends with certain people that you thought to yourself probably shouldn't be the right friends for my teen, for my preteen, for my adult, for my young adult. Go to Proverbs 27, look at verse 17. You say, how do I choose good friends for my, for, my, for my children? How do I choose good friends? Here's how you do it. If their friends are making them better. Proverbs 27 and verse 17 says, Iron sharpeneth iron. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. You want, look, kids, all kids are going to get in trouble. All kids are going to do stupid things. I'm not saying come down hard when they do. But if, you, if your child has a friend and you can tell, man, they're, they're sharpening each other. Sometimes they get into trouble. Sometimes they, they do things they ought not to do. You know, that's all kids. But they're, they're working well together. They're sharpening each other. They're making each other better Christians. Hey, that's the kind of friends you want. If you see your child being a follower of someone and whenever they get around that kid, they just act real worldly. Hey, you may need to cut that relationship off. It's your job. And by the way, this, 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 you know, we're preaching this for children. This works for you as an adult. You're like, every time I get around so-and-so at work, I feel like I start, then you may want to cut that relationship down. You may want to protect yourself from, your, from the wrong friends that you may develop. Here's what I want you to understand. Jacob failed in safeguarding his family from the world. It is the parent's job to protect from wrong friendship. But let me say this. It is the parent's job to protect from fornication. Go back to Genesis 34, look at verse 2. If you didn't like the first part of the sermon, you're definitely not going to like this part. It's not going to get any better. Same song, second verse. You, you were hoping it was going to get better, but it's going to get worse. Genesis 34, look at verse 2. Genesis 34, verse 2. Notice what the Bible says. And when Shechem, the son of Hamar, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, 
Now look, did she go out to hang out with Shechem? She went out to hang out with the daughters of the land. But when she hung out with the daughters of the land, guess who showed up? Shechem. You better be careful who you allow your children to hang out with. You better be careful who you allow your children to spend time with. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her. Talking about a physical relationship, fornication, before marriage, and defiled her. Now, let me, let me explain something. There are two ways to look at this passage. Some people believe that Shechem raped uh, Dinah. And I don't, I don't believe that, and I'll explain to you why I don't take that stand. I don't take that stand for several reasons. Number one, the way you see Shechem treating Dinah doesn't really go with that idea. Look at verse 3. And his soul, this is Shechem's soul, clave unto Dinah. Okay, that doesn't usually happen when a, a filthy pervert assaults somebody. But he, he says, and his soul clave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the damsel and spake kindly unto the damsel. You know, so he's speaking kindly to her. I don't think he assaulted her in any way. I, I think it was consensual. I think she, she went along with it. Look at verse 4. And she comes spake unto his father Hamar, saying, notice what he said, get me this damsel to wife. He wants to marry her. He wants to marry her. Nothing wrong with marrying her. But here, here's how it works. You get married, then you have the physical relationship. Here's how the world wants to do it. You have the physical relationship, then you get married. But that's not how God wants it to go. That's not the order that God has laid out. And this guy, he's, he, as far as being a, a worldly, unsaved, unbeliever, he, he's, he's not a terrible guy except for the fact that he's a fornicator. And that he defiled the daughter of Jacob, and I believe she went along with it. But notice, he wants to marry her. Verse 4, he says, get me this damsel to wife. Uh, just just to, to prove the point, go down to verse 8. We'll come back and deal with the verses in between here in a minute. But look, look at verse 8. I want you to notice why I don't think this guy raped her or assaulted her. Look at verse 8. And Hamar, comm- and Hamar communed with them, saying. So this is Hamar, the father of Shechem, going to Jacob. Because remember in verse 4, he said, get me this damsel to wife. So he's going to go and broker that deal to try to get them. Notice what he, what he said. Look at verse 8. And Hamor communed with them, saying, The soul of my son, son Shechem, look at what he says, longeth for your daughter. I pray you give her him to wife. This, this guy was really head over heels for this girl. Look at verse 9. And make ye marriages with us, and give your daughters unto us, and take our daughters unto you. And ye shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade ye therein, and get you possessions therein. And Shechem said unto his father, verse 11, uh, 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 unto her father and unto her brethren, notice what he says, let me find grace in your eyes, and what ye shall say unto me, I will give. No, he said, whatever you want, because during this time, they had to give dowries, they had to give amounts to get married. He said, whatever you want, I will give it. Look at verse 12. Notice his attitude. He said, ask me never so much a dowry and gift, and I will give according as ye shall say unto me. But give me the damsel to wife. He loves this girl. He says, look, whatever you want, whatever your price is, whatever you want me to pay, I'll pay it. So I don't think this guy assaulted her. I do think it was consensual. I think it's just fornication. But look, look at verse uh, number 19. And the young man, that's Shechem, deferred not to do the thing. Because remember, the brothers come and say, okay, you know, we'll give her to wife, but your whole land, your whole city, all the men in your city have to get circumcised, okay? And I don't, hopefully I don't have to explain what that means, but that's not a pretty thing, right? And he says, he says, and the young man deferred not to do the thing. He's like, sure, okay, that's what I got to do. Why? Because he had delight in Jacob's daughter. 
And he was more honorable than all the house of his father. And the fact that God even tells us he's more honorable than all the house of his father, I, I don't think this guy was a reprobate. I don't think this guy was, I think he's just a young man that was a fornicator. We got thousands of them in America today, millions of them in America today. Look at verse 26. And they slew Hamar and Shechem after they get circumcised. The brothers come in and slew them. We'll, we'll look at it here in a second. But I just want you to notice verse 26. And they slew Hamar and Shechem, his son with the edge of the sword. Notice, and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went out. So she's living. She's living with it. They're in the same house. This is called shacking up. It's, just, it's called fornication. So I don't think he raped her. I don't think he assaulted her. I just think they, li- they, were, they were fornicating before marriage. And listen to me, parents. Go back, go back to verse 5. It is your job to protect from fornication. It, listen to me. Mom and dad, it is your job. I'll prove it to you from the Bible here in a minute. It's your job to make, your, make sure your children do not fornicate. Look at verse 5. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with the cattle in the field. And notice what Jacob does. And Jacob held his peace. He heard about this. He heard that his daughter had been defiled, that his daughter was committing fornication, and he held his peace until they were come. He didn't protect her. He didn't defend her. He didn't even throw a fit afterwards. He just stayed quiet. Look at verse 6. And Hamar, the father of Shechem, went out unto Jacob to commune with him. And the sons of Jacob came out of the field when they heard it, and the men were grieved. The, the brothers were grieved, and they were very wroth. Because he had wrought folly in Israel and lying with Jacob's daughter. Notice what it says. Which thing ought not to be done. Now look, in this story, in, in, in 2017 America, you might look at the story and think, I don't understand what the big deal is. I mean, these two brothers go out there and they kill every man in the entire city because their daughter, because the, uh, the, the sister was fornicating. But listen to me, that's because we live in a society where your mind's been brainwashed by the internet, been brainwashed by the television, and we think it's just totally fine and totally okay for people to go to bed together before they're married. But the Bible says these things ought not to be done. God says it's a sin. God says it's wrong. God says it shouldn't happen. And these guys were righteously angry about it. And so should you. And so should I. We should be upset about it. We should want to protect our daughters from it. Look, I'm not going to have my 15 or 16 or 17 or 18-year-old girl working at some subway somewhere so some 18-year-old punk can try to take her out, can try to put his hands on her. You say, well, is he a rep? He's not a rep. He's just an unsaved kid. I'm just going to protect my daughters from her. I'm going to protect my daughters from him. I'm going to make sure that they are protected because that's what a parent does. They protect their children when it comes to friendship and they protect their children when it comes to fornication. God makes a big deal about this. I don't think we realize this in our society today. Look at verse 31, same chapter. Genesis 34, verse 31. And they said, because they're really angry about this. And look, the steps they took were wrong steps. We're going to look at that here in a minute. And they said, should he deal with our sister as with an harlot? You see that word harlot there? The word harlot means prostitute. The word harlot means whore. I mean, look it up in a dictionary. That's what the word means. These guys are mad. They're angry. He said, should they deal with our sister as with an harlot? And listen to me, Dad. It's your job. It's your job to make sure that no man, no man deals with your daughter like some sort of a whore. You say, Pastor, why are you so angry about this? Because I don't think we really get how big of a deal this is. 
Your job, mom, your job, dad, is to make sure that your children are protected from fornication. Go to Deuteronomy 22. I'll prove it to you. Deuteronomy 22. Because, look, sometimes I say these things and people are like, oh, Pastor Manning is a little wound up. He's a little crazy. Maybe I am, but I'm crazy because the word of God made me crazy. Deuteronomy 22, look at verse 13. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 22, look at verse 13. Deuteronomy 22, verse 13. Let me show you your, your responsibility as a parent. Deuteronomy 22, verse 13. If any man take a wife and go in unto her and hate her. So this guy got married but decides, you know, uh, she's crazy. <laughs> I don't want to be with her. Look at verse 14. And give occasion of speech against her. Now look, he's going to give a speech against her. He's going to say something bad about her. And bring up an evil name upon her. And say, I took this woman, and when I came to her, I found her not a maid. Now the King James word there, maid, they're referring to a virgin, and we'll see it here in a second. They said, I married this girl, I thought she was a virgin, and I found her not a maid. Look at verse 15. Then shall the father of the damsel and her mother take and bring forth the tokens of the damsel's virginity. And I'm not going to go into all the details here. You need to just figure that out because I'm not talking about it from the pulpit. But he, they, they, they said, Then shall the father of the damsel and her mother take and bring forth the token of the damsel's virginity unto the elders of the city in the gate. Are you catching what's going on here? A young guy just gets married. Goes in unto his wife, decides he hates her. And he says, I thought she was a virgin. I found her not a maid. She, she wasn't a virgin. Then mom and dad say, no, no, no. We know she was a virgin. In fact, we can prove it. And they take the proof. Look at verse 16. And the damsel's father shall say unto the elders, I gave my daughter unto this man to wife, and he hateth her. And lo, he hath given occasion of speech against her saying, I found not thy daughter a maid. And yet, these are the tokens of my daughter's virginity, and they shall spread the cloth before the elders of the city. And the elders of the city shall take the man and chastise him. And they shall immerse him in a hundred shekels of silver and give them unto the father of the damsel because he hath brought up an evil name upon a virgin. You see how the Bible just described to us what a, defined for us what a maid is? A virgin of Israel and she shall be his wife. He may not put her away all his days. So this guy says, she wasn't a virgin and dad says, oh no. <laughs> oh no, she was a virgin. I know she was a virgin. And here's the proof. And then the guys are like, they, they give him a fine. And they say, you can't put her away. You got it. You got it. You got it. You're married to her. Now look at verse 20. But if this thing be true, and the token of the virgin of the virginity be not found for the damsel, then they shall bring out. Now don't, don't miss this. Look how serious God thinks this offense is. Then they shall bring out the damsel to the door of the father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her with stones that she die. Because she hath wrought folly in Israel. To play the whore. She just, she's, she's just a girl that got married before she was... She got married and she wasn't a virgin. God says she played the whore in her father's house. So shalt thou put evil away from among you. 
Now look, we don't live under Levitical law. We don't live under the law of Moses. And these things don't apply to us today as far as what we ought to do. And I don't think you need to have a cloth that proves your daughter's virginity. But here's what I'm trying to say. It's your responsibility, Mom. It's your responsibility, Dad. It is my responsibility to make sure when those girls and those boys walk down that aisle that I can attest to the fact that they are virgins, that they are pure. You say, well, how are you going to be able to attest to the fact that your 18 or 19 or 20 or 21-year-old daughter is a virgin? Here's how I'll be able to attest to it. She's never leaving my sight. (laughs) There will never be a time when she's not around mom and dad. And I'll be able to say, I know she's a virgin. I know he's pure. I can attest to that. Well, what about those 40 hours they spent working at? There's not going to be any 40 hours working anywhere. And, and look, you know, people think I'm crazy. My daughters are not going to date unchaperoned. And you're looking at the chaperone. It's, it's a triple date. If you want to date my girls, you're, you're taking me out too. And people, my wife's like, you're crazy. I will eat, I'll eat on the other side of the restaurant, okay? I won't make eye contact with you, but I will be there. Look, my, my oldest daughter is four. Things could change. But I, don't, I just see them getting worse. No, and I want to help, help you. Look, I, I believe, I believe, and I, in all honesty, because people ask us these questions. Let me explain to you my philosophy, and you may not like it, but let me just explain to you. My philosophy when our daughters are old enough to date is that mom and dad will be there every step of the way. We will give them the room they need. We will sit on the other side of the restaurant and, you know, wear a mustache or whatever and, they, you know, make them feel, but we will be there. We will be there because on that day of that wedding, I want to be able to say, oh, no, she is a virgin. You better believe it. Now look, for our sons, and you may not like this, but for our sons, I'm going to give them proper instructions that they are never to be alone with a young lady that they're dating, that they are always to be in public settings, and that they, were, that they should never be alone. I'm going to instruct them. But I'm not going to go on every date with them because you know whose job it is to go on every date with them is the girl they're dating, their dad. That's just what I believe and think, and you may not like that. I'm just, I'm just telling you, do you have a plan? I've got a plan. She's four years old, and I've got a plan. She's four years old, and I, I'm already ready for it. When your little snot-nosed 17-year-old comes up to me and says, can I take your daughter out? Sure, we're all going to McDonald's. I'll be in the playpen, but I can watch you. I'm just telling you I've got a plan. I'm just telling you your job as a parent is to safeguard his family from the world. It's your job. Taking your job seriously? Jacob failed in surrounding his family with the world. Jacob failed in safeguarding his family from the world. Number three, go back to Genesis 34. Jacob failed in setting an example different from the world. Jacob failed in setting an example different from the world. I want you to notice what happens in the story. Look at verse 13. And the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamer, his father. I want you to notice. Notice this word. If you don't mind underlining your Bible, underline this word. And the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamer, his father, deceitfully. You see that word? Deceitfully. So Shechem goes to bed with this girl before she, they're married. But he loves her. He wants to marry her. He wants to be with her. And he goes and his dad go to Jacob and say, can we marry her? Ask me whatever you want. I'll give you whatever you want. I want to marry her. My soul longeth for her. I love her. I want to be with her. And the sons of Jacob, not Jacob, the sons of Jacob, verse 13, answered Shechem and Hamer, his father. They said, okay, 
But they answered him deceitfully, deceitfully, and said, because he had defiled thine other sister. And they said unto them, look at verse 14, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one that is uncircumcised, for that were a reproach unto us. But in this will we consent unto you. Now hold on. What they're saying, they're saying deceitfully. So when they say, but in this will we consent unto you, that's a lie. They're not going to consent. They're not going to go with this. It's a trick. They're being deceptive. But in this will we consent unto you, if we, if ye will be as we be, that every male of you be circumcised. Then will we give our daughters unto you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and we'll be, we will become one people. Now, let me ask you something. Do they have any intention of giving their daughters unto them? No. Do they have any intention of taking their daughters unto their sons? No. Do they have any intention of becoming one people? The answer is no. Why? Because they were being deceitful. Because they were being tricksters. Because they were being manipulative. Look at verse 17. But if ye will not hearken unto us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. Now that's what they should have done. But that's not what they did. They said, why don't you all get circumcised and then, and then we'll be one group. And their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, and Shechem, Hamor's son. And the young man, Shechem, deferred not to do this thing. He said, okay, that's what I got to do. Let's do it. Because he had delight in Jacob's daughter, and he was more honorable than all the house of his father. And Hamor and Shechem, his son, came unto the gate of their city and communed with the men of their city, saying, these men be peaceable with us. Now, is that true? No. Are these men peaceable with them? No. They're lying. They're deceitful. They're not true. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade therein. For the land, behold, it is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters for us to wife, and let us give them our daughters. Only herein will the men consent unto us, for to dwell with us, to be one people. If every male among us be circumcised, as they are circumcised, shall not their cattle... Now notice, how, notice what he does to convince them. Because the only one that's in love is Shechem. He's got to convince these other guys to go through with this. So notice what he says. Shall not, look at verse 23. Shall not their cattle and their substance and every beast of theirs be ours? Only let us consent unto them and they will dwell with us. They said, look, we can have more money. We can have, look, look, look over there. You see all that cattle Jacob has? See all that property Jacob has? You see all those servants Jacob has? Those can be ours if we will do this thing. Look at verse 24. And unto Hamor, unto Shechem, his son, hearkened all that went out of the gate of the city, and every male was circumcised, all that went out of the gate of the city. It's amazing what people will do for money. And let me explain something to you. When somebody's trying to convince you to do something, and their primary or their only argument is money, it's probably the wrong thing to do. The love of money is the root of all evil. I, uh, I think you got to make this decision. Well, why do you think I should do that? Well, because of money. Any other reason? No, just money. You make more money. You get circumcised. Look at all that cattle. We can bring those people in. Look, whenever people are trying to get you to do something, to not do something, to go somewhere, to not go somewhere, and the only, the only objective is money, it's probably the wrong thing. You ought never make decisions solely based on money. Amen. Now look, take, factor it in. But before you factor money in, why don't you factor God in? 
Before you factor money in, why don't you factor your family in? Before you factor money in, why don't you factor your, your children in? Look at verse 25. And it came to pass on the third day when they were sore. Because these guys got circumcised. Now the mistake they made is that they all got circumcised on the same day. <laughs> because three days later they were sore. And keep in mind, this is not, you know, this is ancient world. Okay, I don't, I don't think they had Advil. <laughs> that the two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and, Le- and Levi, Dinah's brother, because Simeon and Levi are Dinah's full brethren, meaning they shared the same mother and the same father, took each man his sword and came upon the city boldly and slew all the males. And they slew Hamar and Shechem, his son, with the edge of the sword. And took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went out. Now, let me explain something to you. Simeon and Levi were deceitful. They were playing a trick. They were deceiving. They never had any intention of uniting with the people of Shechem. Now, let me ask you something. Where do you think they learned that from? You think it's a coincidence that Jacob, who's called, who, whose name means deceiver? You think it's a coincidence that Jacob, who's mostly known for deceiving his father, for deceiving in this area, for lying in this area, for tricking in this area, you think it's a coincidence that then Simeon and Levi are deceiving and manipulating and lying and tricking? You want to know where Jacob failed as a parent? He failed in setting an example different from the world. Listen to me, mom and dad. Your children will do what they see you do. Your children will do what they see you do. And we just saw Jacob get right with Esau in the previous chapter. And we just saw Jacob get right with God in the previous chapter. But you know what, they, what he did in chapter 33 and what he did in chapter 32 does not make up for the 20 plus years that Simeon and Levi watched their dad deceive, watched their dad lie, watched their dad trick, watched their dad force his way to get his way, and now they're doing the same thing. And you can't say, well, I got right with God. Yeah, last week. But you've been raising your kids for a long time. And you will fail. You will fail as a parent if you fail to set the right example for your children. Your children will not do what you say. They will do what they see you do. Your children will not do what you tell them. They will do what they see you do. And you come to a church like Verity Baptist Church and you say, well, Pastor Manners will train them out and Pastor Manners will preach about this and Pastor Manners will do that. Look, I, I, I've, got them, I've got them for three hours a week. You've got them the rest of the time. The sermons you preach from home, and I'm not talking about you having a Bible study, I'm talking about the way they see you live, will make a greater impact in their lives than what they hear from me. Jacob failed in the fact that he surrounded his family with the world. And Jacob failed in the fact that he did not safeguard his family from the world. And Jacob failed in the fact that he did not set a good example that's different from the world. His boys saw him lie, so they lied. His boys saw him deceive, so they deceived. His boys saw him manipulate, so they manipulated. Now I want you to go to Genesis 49. And we're going to finish up. We'll be done here in a minute. Genesis 49. In Genesis 49, you've got Jacob dying. And he's giving one last talk to his boys. And I want you to understand, he's speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. It's not Jacob speaking, but it is God speaking through him. 
And the reason we know that is because Jacob gives several prophecies of things that are going to happen to the tribes, not the children of Israel, but the tribes of Israel, and those all come to pass. And I want you to notice what Jacob says to Simeon and Levi. Genesis 49 and verse 7. He said, I'm sorry, 49 and verse 5. Genesis 49 and verse 5. Notice what he says. Simeon and Levi are brethren. This is Jacob on his deathbed, speaking to his sons. Notice what he says. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. O my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly mine honor. Be not thou united. For Notice what he says. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall. Now I want you to understand a couple of things, okay? He's referring to the story that we just read about Shechem. Here's another reason why I don't think Shechem was a rapist. Because if Shechem was a rapist, the law that God gave says that he deserves to die. So the fact that he was put to death, and God is looking at that in a negative connotation, tells us that this guy did not deserve to die. Okay? He, he fornicated. It's a, it's a terrible sin. But he did not deserve to die. But I want you to notice what Jacob says. Look at verse 6 again. O my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly. Mine honor be not thou united. For, notice this phrase, for in their anger they slew a man. Do you see that? Singular. Now didn't Simeon and Levi kill a lot of men that day? Say, is this a contradiction in the Bible? There's no mistakes in the Bible. Okay, you're the mistake. All right, we already went over this. What, well, then what's going on? Here's what I want you to understand. They slew a man, Shechem, in their anger. The rest of the men, they didn't, they didn't kill them because they were angry. So why'd they kill him? Because they had to kill him to get away with it. They want to kill one guy. But they knew if they said, hey, Shechem, you get circumcised. And you can marry our daughter, or our, our sister, and Shechem gets circumcised, and three days later they go in and, and kill Shechem. They knew they've got a whole city of men that are going to come after them. So they said, hey, let's kill one guy in our anger, and let's kill the rest of the guys just because we've got to get away with it. Oftentimes when you sin, you've got to do other sins in order to cover up the initial sin. Oftentimes when, you, when he, they, they kill one guy, and they're like, well, wait a minute. If we kill Shechem, then, then his dad's going to come after us. Well, I guess we better kill the dad too. Well, wait a minute. If we kill the dad, then the neighbor's going to come after us. Well, then we better kill the neighbor too. They killed one man in their anger. They killed everybody else just because they had to get away with it. It was a wicked sin. It was a wrong sin. It was a bad sin that they were doing. But I would submit to you that Jacob could have solved the problem from the beginning if he would have just gone to Bethel. Where God wanted him. Look at, go back to Genesis 34, look at verse 27. We'll finish up. Genesis 34, verse 27. Genesis 34, verse 27. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their sheep and their oxen, their asses, and that which was in the city and that which was in the field, and all their wealth and all their little ones. And all their wives took they captive and spoiled even all that was in the house. Do you understand what just happened here? A bunch of men just died. And they've lost everything now. And even their wives are taken captive. Why? Because one boy decided to fornicate with one girl. Look, your, your sin has consequences and it affects other people. 
say, well, this is kind of extreme. I, I get that. This is kind of extreme. But your sin will always have an effect on other people. Look at verse 30. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, Ye have troubled me to make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. So obviously the men in Shechem are gone, but now he's afraid of all the other nations. When they hear about this, you know, what are they going to do? And they said, should he deal with our sister as with an harlot? Now look at verse 1 of the next chapter. Chapter 35, verse 1. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there. Aren't you glad that God gives second chances? Aren't you glad that when God tells you to go to Bethel and you say, I'm going to go to Shechem and you make a big old mess out of it, that God, God will come back and say, why don't you go back to Bethel? Why don't you head back to Bethel? Look, you can always go back to Bethel. You can always go back to God. Even when you choose to go, even when you make a mess, even when your children get, even when your children's lives are destroyed. Even one, one day, there, there, are people, there are people that leave this church and, I, and I'll plead with them and I'll say, well, what are you going to do about your children? What are you going to do with your children? Oh, no, no, it's not a big deal. Hey, one day when they wake up and their kids are worldly and their kids are teens and they're pregnant because they weren't in a church where they preach hard, hey, they can come back to Bethel. Jacob could come back to Bethel. But Jacob came back to Bethel with scars. Jacob came back to Bethel with a girl that had been defiled. Jacob went back to Bethel with two boys that are murderers. So you know what the best thing would do? is to just get to Bethel. Just stay in Bethel. Well, I think I've got... Just, just stop, stop thinking. You're not good at it. Just go to Bethel. Just go to Bethel. Just do what God tells you to do. Well, I don't understand why God... Just do what God tells you to do. Well, I don't understand why I can't... Just do what God told you to do. You'll be glad you did. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these stories that we can learn from that we can apply to our lives. But there are so many things in the Bible that we just don't understand. There are so many times you tell us to do things and we think, well, why, why do we have to do that? Why, why do we have to go there? Why do I have to go to Bethel? Lord, help us to remember that we'll, just, we'll, we'll, we'll bypass a lot of regrets if we just do what you tell us to do. But even when we go in our own self-will, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, even when we leave, help us to remember, help us to remember that we can always go back to Bethel. Father, thank you for these stories you've given us. I pray there'd be some parents that might take heed to some of the things that were said and they might begin to plan out. Maybe they're not going to take the same steps we take in our home, and that's fine, Lord, but help us to have homes where we are purposely protecting our children. Father, I pray for my children. Pray for Joshua and Joel and Elizabeth, Lydia and Ruth. Pray you to give my wife and I wisdom and discernment to protect them. Lord, I pray you'd put a hedge of protection around them. Help them to grow up, to fear you, to love you. Lord, I pray for all the children in this church. I pray you'd put a hedge of protection around them. Lord, I pray that we might raise up a generation of young people, Lord, that love you, that walk down an aisle pure and clean and serve you with their lives. Lord, I ask for these parents that your Holy Spirit would come upon them, that your Holy Spirit would speak to their hearts in areas where they know that maybe they're failing. Help us not to play with our children. Help us to remember we've got them for a short time. We love you, Lord, in your precious name I pray. Amen.